Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Josh, co-founder of Urban Valor. Welcome to another episode of the Urban Valor podcast. Our guest today is retired Army Staff Sergeant William Ferry. William was born in Lockport, New York, and grew up on a junkyard. He moved around and ended up graduating high school in San Antonio, Texas. William joined the Army as a medical specialist and was surprised to find himself in combat medic school involuntarily. He conducted multiple combat deployments, one of which he managed 13 mass casualty incidents within a six-month time span while in Afghanistan. He leaves us with how his time in service affected his mental health and what he does to combat it. If you enjoy this episode, go give us a five-star rating and leave a comment to help support our veterans. The bigger the community, the bigger the impact. If you'd like to contribute your story to Urban Valor or know anyone else who may, reach out to us on Instagram at Urban Valor TV, or you could email us at team at UrbanValor.com. Enjoy the show. Uh, my name is William Ferry. I was born in Lockport, New York um, in 1969. I, my childhood was a little bit unique. Uh, my mom is Mexican and my dad's a hillbilly. And I grew up on a, on a junkyard. Uh, my uncle uh, owned a junkyard there and very hillbilly-ish. And it was strange being around a lot of these tough hillbillies. These guys did not play. They did not play. So I was known as Billy back then. And it'd be like, Billy, get me a beer. <laughs> and sure, I'd love to get my uncle's beer. And they'd be around playing poker and smoking and drinking. And uh, I grew up with the last name Ferry. Mm -hmm. And so there's, back in those days, there's a lot of teasing and stuff. And there wasn't, you know, how we have this days where, you know, if you got bullied, you got bullied. You better, mm -hmm. you know, pick it up yourself. And uh, coming from that hillbilly background, uh, I didn't take too much shit. <laughs> you right. know, it wasn't going to be too long. So I can remember punching a kid in the mouth in kindergarten. Uh, just uh, him saying some tooth fairy joke or something like that. And I wasn't having it. And uh, I kind of grew up that way. And kids are cruel. Kids are cruel. And so I didn't get done with that probably until I graduated high school. I uh, moved from New York to Michigan when I was 10 years old and we lived in a right in, I mean, everybody always said here, you know, I lived right about there mm -hmm. in Michigan <laughs> and uh, it was in the middle of nowhere. And um, it was, it was um, no easy way to say it. It was all white people. And they could smell it that I wasn't all white, mm -hmm. you know, even though I have that hillbilly background, mm -hmm. you know, uh, they could smell it. And so I had to deal a little bit with the fairy and he's not white, mm -hmm. you know. And so lots of fights, lots of fights. Um, moved from there when I was probably in 1984, when I was 14 or so, mm -hmm. and moved down to San Antonio, Texas. And I ended up graduating uh, high school. Uh, from San Antonio and probably after that you know people started growing up a little bit but there's always the one mm -hmm. there's always one right. even even nowadays there's always one you know and you just you know knock them down a peg or two right, <laughs> right, right, quick. Right. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so I moved to San Antonio and um decided to uh, go to college and I just barely scraped into Texas Tech and all I learned at Texas Tech was how to smoke weed. Mm. 
That was it. I lasted less than a semester there. <laughs> I uh, got busted uh, coming in from the uh, uh, Lubbock is a dry county. Mm -hmm. And so we got busted coming in uh, a minor in possession of alcohol. So I did my one night in jail and it took me that one night to say, I never want to be in jail again. Mm. And I learned really quick, but uh, I went home and spent the next two years uh, getting high and just not knowing which direction to go. And I've always been uh, rebellious, a rebellious kid. You know, I didn't, didn't like my parents. You know, years later, I'm like, why didn't, why was I so mad at my parents? And there was no reason. I was just rebellious. So I had that, um, that attitude that no matter what someone told me, I was doing the opposite, mm -hmm. you know, cause you're not going to tell me what to do. Right. And just growing up that way. And I ended up, um, getting together with my high school sweetheart and, uh, got her pregnant mm -hmm. and I was still doing my thing. And she, we had the baby. And, uh, one day I just kind of looked at myself and I said, what are you doing? You know, she's working. You don't have a job. You're carrying the baby. You're getting high with, you know, there's got to be something more to life than this. And I didn't, you know, my, my dad was a worker. I mean, he was blue collar. He worked in a steel mill. He worked as a truck driver. He worked as a car salesman. And so he instilled in us, even though at that teenage time, you know, I didn't see it, but he instilled a good work ethic in us. And, um, so I, I knew, I needed to do something. I had to be responsible mm -hmm. in some way. And in 1989, I came home one day. Nobody knew what I was doing. And I came home and said, I joined the Army. <laughs> you know, and they're like, what? And, uh, you know, recruiters, they were like, you're going to be a medical specialist. And uh, I was so happy I'm going to be in the medical field, you know, a specialist. I wonder what I'm going to specialize in. That was the question. Mm -hmm. I wonder what I'm going to specialize in. And... Uh, Went off to uh, boot camp and I was scared to death mm. because I knew Ferry was going to come up. I knew it and I said, I'm, and I asked my dad because he was in the military for four years. He had joined the, um, the uh, Air Force when he was younger. That's when him and my mom met. And I said, Dad, uh, how, how did you make it through? He said, You'll see. <laughs> he said you'll see and so i went into into basic in 89 and this was still at a time when every once in a while they were putting the you know the drill sergeants were putting their hands on people and cussing was perfectly acceptable mm -hmm. and um this was before don't ask don't tell right before that had come in so mm -hmm. they weren't allowing uh homosexuals in the military and uh that it, it was such a bad thing with the last name ferry to have to go in at that time. So I went in and surprisingly, they mentioned one thing to me one time. Uh, they asked me and I, and it was scary too, because one guy in basic wanted to get out. Uh, you know, he had had enough. I don't want to do basic training. I'm getting out. And so he had said, drill sergeant, I want to get out because I'm gay. And every drill sergeant, I mean, you know how they, whoom, they come in at you. You know, yeah. if one drill sergeant starts yelling, here Ooh. come all of them. And they started on this guy and all of them were unbuttoning their pants. If you're gay, suck my dick right now. You know, and it's like, now I'm like scared oh. to death, scared to death. I'm like, 
I got to get through this, you know, without them, you know, thinking this. Yeah. And uh, it was just one day at the mess hall um, where, of course, you have to eat quick and get out. And I happened to look up at the drill sergeant's table and my drill sergeant is staring at me. And I'm like, oh, I got to look down. You know, I don't want to, you know, and as a kid, you don't know. So I looked up again and he's staring at me again and he said, you. And I said, shit. <laughs> so I go up there and I run and say, yes, drill sergeant. And he goes, have me and you got something going on? Have we got a little bit of this? I said, no, drill sergeant. No, we don't. And he looked at me and he said, and what the hell kind of name is Ferry anyway? Get out of my face. That was it. Now, whole basic training, that was it. You know, I didn't didn't hear another thing about it. I got out. I went back home uh, before I de- um, went to my first duty station. And uh, I told my dad. And I said, you know, they just said something to me once about my last name. He goes, yeah, they didn't say nothing to me. You know, <laughs> they didn't say anything to me. And so I thought you had me scared to death that whole time. But that was my dad's, you know, way. Yeah, That's yeah. that old hillbilly way. You're going to figure it out yourself. Wow. You know. Wow. So I uh, got in the military and, and I went to school. I went to school uh, in San Antonio, mm-hmm. the medic school in San Antonio. So I go in there and um, I'm still thinking, what am I going to specialize in? And so I walk up in there day one and there's this big emblem medical emblem on the ground and of course you know you can't walk on that emblem and i i see that so i'm walking around and i look at the emblem and it says combat medic and i'm like well this isn't what i signed up for you know i'm a medical specialist and uh in my stupidity i and this was the first cycle that drill sergeants were in the medical school so they weren't as mean as the other ones Mm. and they asked, uh, I wa- so I walked up to one of them and I said, Trail Sergeant, I think I'm in the wrong place. I'm a medical specialist. Uh, he says, you specialize in combat, motherfucker. <laughs> I was like, okay, uh, this is the path I have chosen. <laughs> <laughs> this is the way. So went through school and then um, when I joined, there hadn't been a war or anything mm-hmm. for a very long time. So I went to Germany, uh, my first duty station. And nine months into joining or getting to my first duty station, Desert Shield and Desert Storm hits. I'm freaking out. I'm like, I, you know, and it sounds stupid now. I did not join the army to go to war. Yeah. I did not join up for this. They said money for college. That's it. Mm. And so I ended up going. And I was with a, a combat engineer battalion. So, uh, they ride uh, in front of the tanks. Uh, we were attached to uh, 2nd Armored Cavalry Regiment. And uh, so we rode in front of the tanks and cleared minefields. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, if anybody still remembers anything about Desert Storm, they said they had the wires around and had minefields and everything going into Kuwait. And it really wasn't that bad. Um, and, of course, it was... That war was a massacre. Mm. You know, there, there wasn't very many people that died in, in uh, Desert Storm, what you would think of war, you mm-hmm. know. But we did have, we did lose two, um, but it was to friendly fire. They had a little camp, encampment where they had some uh, EPWs, some enemy prisoners of war, and uh, something was coming over the hill and the tanks were back here. And so when they grabbed them up and went to come around, I guess the tanks didn't realize who they were 
and the tank shot them up. Mm. You know, and that happens a lot. Yeah. <clears throat> and if people don't know the desert, I mean, it's pitch black out there. So, you know, I know they got the night vision, but they don't know what they're looking at. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure someone, you know, unfortunately for them made a mistake and said, let's fire on these. We think it's the enemy and uh, took out two. But it is, you know, that was my within a year of of me first getting to my first duty station. You wow. know, I was starting off with a war. Wow, yeah, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it is... Uh, it was a, an exciting time. It was definitely a learning experience. As a medic, um, got to work on a lot of the um, Iraqis. Um, and it was just, it was like, um, it was like walking through a zoo, you know, as a, as a young kid. And, and just the way it was set up, we had gotten some prisoners and they were walking them through. And so the whole camp is just sitting there looking at these prisoners because we'd never seen. Mm-hmm. Most of us are young kids have never been outside of the United States, you know, and as, as much just to Germany, you know, so we see Germans. Um, but uh, seeing those people, you know, we're looking at them like this is a whole new culture. This is a whole new everything. And so there was a lot of rules, a lot of this, a lot of that. Do you recall like, uh, your first like casualty working on your first absolutely casualty yeah in desert storm yeah Yeah, what was that like for you Um, the first time working on a wounded you know it was exciting and now the wound wasn't that bad either okay it it was bad but it wasn't like someone was gut shot or you know something like that uh a guy got shot in the foot and so he was walking through the desert with the white flag they were doing that a Mm -hmm. lot back then you know they were giving up really quick and so he's got just some rags wrapped around his foot. And uh, as, as, as he's walking through, they're like, Doc, we need you to treat this guy. So I unwrapped it and I looked at it and his, his foot was mangled. You know, so that was kind of the first time I really saw something like that. Um, but it, w- it wasn't a difficult injury. You know, there's not, what are you going to do, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so you just splint it and you wrap it up and you make sure it's clean. Cause it, he had dirt and everything through it. And it wasn't like I was in a hospital setting. I was with engineers, you know, in vehicles. So you just got out of your vehicle, you treat them right quick and you send them to the back. Mm. And that was, that was the very first war injury I saw. So I was like, I was very proud of myself. Yeah. I was like, I handled that pretty well. I was a foot injury. Yeah. That, that, that was your cherry breaker right there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a, uh, it was a good, it was a good, um, it was a good way to get started, mm. you know, instead of seeing blown up, but come down the road, we go and we see the highway of death, which, um, you know, we told the Iraqis get out of Kuwait and do not assemble, do not ride back to back you need to be spread out and stuff or we're going to blow you up well they went back to back and they tore up that whole highway Mm. and so we ended up driving through that there was no survivors but you saw at that point you started seeing the burnt bodies you started smelling that that tinny blood smell Mm -hmm. which to this day doesn't go away sometimes i'm just doing something i'm like i smell blood i smell blood like you're smelling pennies exactly yeah exactly and it's it's just a, a weird feeling, but I I went through that, and then we had a couple more, uh, just uh, nothing too major. You know, it was either a minor injury or death. Mm. You know, there was no in between yeah. too much. So it was it was a good thing to go through that, and then um, 
I had this big stint from when did that happen? 91? Yeah, around 91, 92. Uh-huh. Or so. And then in 2009 was the next combat deployment. Okay. So I had a long period in between. Yeah. Of, you know, I spent three years with the engineers, 10 years with tanks. And then I was like, I'm tired of combat units. And they came up with a good one. I got to work at the MEPS mm-hmm. in Louisville, Kentucky. You know, if you work at the MEPS in Los Angeles, that sucks. Louisville, Kentucky, you know, on the, at the beginning, you might have one person on the floor, right. you know, one person trying to get in your day's over quick. Mm. But, uh, I went there and I was the guy who made you do the duck walk, you know? <laughs> so that was a nice little break. And then after that, I went back to Germany and I worked at a, a clinic in Mannheim, Germany, which was the worst unit ever because it's filled with medics. It built a hatred for medics mm. for my own kind <laughs> in me because it was just constant backstabbing. Who wants to get promoted? Who's going to do this? And everybody's fighting each other and I couldn't stand it. And then I went to Stuttgart, Germany and got in an MP company. And that's when I went to Enduring Freedom. Mm. So my memory was of Kuwait. And so I thought it was going to be that hot in Afghanistan. And I was like, man, I almost didn't make it to three months. I don't know how I'm going to make it a year. And I'm worried about the heat. I'm not even worried about the combat. Mm. I'm worried about the heat. Well, we get there and it's not as hot as it's, it's a little bit hotter than Texas. So you can mentally say it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got there and we got put at a, a, a camp, uh, Camp Torquem, which was less than a mile away from uh, Torquem Gate, which was the border with Pakistan. And so a lot of people, a lot of, and a lot of people don't know, that's where Alexander the Great went through. So it's a very popular gate that uh, people go through, a lot of supplies, big highway. And the, um, the Taliban and ISIS or whoever was there, um, they loved blowing up that border. They loved blowing it up. So we didn't have any Americans at the border um, because we knew we were not dumb. We're not going to put people there where they're blowing it up all the time. Um, so we were within the mile. And so you could hear it. Boom. And so me, I'm thinking, here we go. We're going to work. And uh, I was put in a spot and I'm sure there's other medics who were, but it wasn't really common. And I didn't know, I didn't know any better, um, that I didn't have a doctor. I didn't have a PA. I didn't have any other medical support. There was one, uh, uh, SF medic. And he was on the other side of the camp. So anytime anything happened, he'd always come in late, mm. you know, coming in from the other camp. But uh, besides that, it was me as a, as a staff sergeant and three, two specialists and a private. And all of us are EMT basics. Mm-hmm. You know, that's as high as it gets. So they started blowing up the border and they would bring patients in. And that's where I got a lot of training, a lot of training on these people. And you don't want to say they're training tools, but they're training tools, mm-hmm. you know, when you're dealing with other, uh, um, other people besides Americans. And, uh, so in those, uh, that's where I really started learning mm-hmm. what was going on. The first, uh, mass cal we had was just, uh, there was like six patients. The uh, five of them were just, you know, I don't want to say minor wounds, but they weren't the big ones. But the one guy who got blown up, he came in with his foot was in his crotch. And it was just basically uh, um, an amputation. 
but it was held on by the muscle, his calf muscle. So it didn't blow off the muscle. So it kind of like a sock, you know, the skin came up and his foot was up there. So that was the first one that I was like, uh Oh, what do we do here? Mm. You know, how do you, because you either have an amputation or you have something you can fix and splint. Mm. Well, this was neither, you know? So how do you do that? So we ended up, uh, he had a broken femur. He had a, a chest injury he was cut right up here in his jaw. And I learned, I learned really quick on tourniquets that day because this was blown off. You could just see the bone. It was just almost from the knee down. You could see the tib fib, mm-hmm. you know, like right there. And then the foot was up here. So we just kind of brought the foot down because you can't cut it off. You're not supposed to do that. Yeah. So we just brought it down, put it where it was supposed to be. And you know, splinted it up and put it like that. And we put the tourniquet on and I started losing vitals and I'm like, let's, you know, give that special IV where it's going to, you know, put some, some fluid into his vascular system. And, uh, he came back and I'm like, cool. So I turned it off. And as soon as I turned it off, he started going down again. And I did that about three times before it uh, dawned on me. We have a leak every time we fill him up and then we stop it. He loses his fluid again. Mm. and ended up as those tourniquets on here and then i noticed in the in the dirt I said, he's bleeding out from here mm. this is where it's happening so that was a good training tool on tourniquets mm. make sure those tourniquets are tight and make sure you you double check them because there will be movement and they they go up but ended up having 13 mascals oh, wow. in in six months wow. and so we got good and it wasn't that we were great medics and we weren't tooting our own horn. It's just that we had so many mascals that we got good at it. Right. And uh, I, I, every, and you, you become numb to it. They bring bodies in. They, they do that. And uh, I think, but there's always that one, you know, that kind of gets you. And they had brought in, I think this girl was about, and it wasn't, it wasn't a, an explosion at the gate. It was something. And they brought a girl in that, uh, she was about eight years old. And I believe the story was um, they had said she got hit by a car on the highway, but you can tell injuries from a, a you know getting hit by a car mm-hmm. compared to something else. And she wasn't hit by a car, so it was it was common practice over there that if the dad got mad at the mom, he took it out on the kids. Mm-hmm. You know that's just common the way they do it over there. And uh, so we assumed that the dad had like crushed this little girl. And I had daughters at that time that were similar in age. And so I'm dealing with this girl and she was just split from here all the way back. Her, her, her skull was, you know, cracked. The, the, the scalp was open and, uh, I was overdoing something. And I told one of the other medics, you know, check her breathing, check her breathing, make sure she's breathing. Cause I saw something like she would vomited mm-hmm. or something you know, coming out of her mouth. They're just kind of hanging out of her mouth. And the medic went over there and she said, that's her tongue because her tongue was shredded. I don't know how that happened, but that kind of hit me a little bit. And, uh, it wasn't a cool feeling. And so I had to step away because I still feel it like right now. So I had to step away for like 15 seconds, get myself back together and then back in the game. And so that was, out of all those things, I mean, we got had people blown up all we've had, you know, in the team, you know, 
14, 15 people at one time. No problem. Stick a needle in their chest. Do this. Do that. We're learning. What do you guys want to do? Getting the MPs involved. You guys save this life. You know he's not going to make it. But it gives them good training. But that one little girl, she was probably about eight. Oh. Somewhere in that age, you know. And you know she didn't make it. I mean, she just had a, a massive head injury. And she wasn't going to make it. But, that, I mean, that that when you get injuries like that, what can you do? You know, there's nothing you can do. You got to get them to an emergency room. And because they're not Americans or working for the Americans, they go to the Afghan hospital. And most of them die there from infection or they don't have. So most of it was just Afghans that were getting blown up. And you start realizing, you know, when you get there, they're the enemy. They're, I don't know, they're not even human. You know, don't think about it like that. But as you're working on them, you realize... You know, they hurt the same as we do. They're, they're in pain. This is shitty for them too, you know, because a lot of them were just civilians walking across the border. Um, and so you kind of realize that everybody's just a human being, you know, we're in a stuck in a shitty situation. But when that one time came where I had two, you know, Americans and Afghans, no different. After that six month stint on, the border, we moved into the middle of somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And um, a lot of uh, green on blue was going on at that time. So you had someone who's an Afghan who's watching the gate and he takes his rifle and turns it the other way and starts shooting up people. Ooh. So uh, the fobs we were on are just dirt lots. There's no buildings. We're just in the middle of, you could see forever, you know, and you're just in the middle of nowhere. Um, we had a green on blue. And so he started shooting people and someone shot him through the chest and it came out back here somewhere. And so at this point, at this new fob, I had a PA. So I had someone, thank goodness that, you know, the way I put it, she knew what she was doing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a little <laughs> guidance, <Yeah. laughs> but, uh, uh, we had that. And I remember putting combat gauze into the bullet hole and me and her were standing. So I was kind of pushing it in this way. She's pushing it in. I'm pushing it in. She's pushing it in. And remember looking up at each other with big old smiles on our faces because we're working, mm. you know. Uh, and, and he had just tried to shoot up the camp, mm. you know. So it wasn't a hatred. Um, I imagine if, if he had done a better job that there probably would have. But I wasn't in that situation, Um I remember going out there and just going, you know, balls to the wall because I'm thinking medic-wise and everybody else is thinking tactically. Yeah. And they're like, Doc, quit running out in front of everything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're, they're kind of having more of a, a, a correct way of thinking than mm-hmm. I was. But I was, I've always been an adrenaline junkie. So I was, you know, even though I still was thinking tactically, I was, if you're not, you're not moving fast enough, I'm going. Yeah. You know, there's, there's someone hurt too. Shoot. I'm definitely going. Right. Right. But, um, but that was an interesting time there. Um, we did have mortars come across the camp and, uh, that there's a funny story about, uh, that was that we were, uh, playing cards at night in one of the hooches and we heard them and three of us looked back and we thought, what was that? Uh, cause we hadn't been mortared yet. So we didn't know. 
And I said, I think that was the bathroom door banging back there. But one guy learned later, he had been through mortars. He looked very serious. He, he, he was not, he didn't think it was a bathroom door. And he didn't say anything, but he was just kind of had a squinty eye. And then we heard, boom. And I looked back again and I said, is that the bathroom door or not? And then I kind of stopped talking and it was like a cartoon. That dude was gone and his cards were coming down. You know, it's like, wait a minute, what's going on? Then we heard another one right after that. And we said, okay, mortars. We all run into the bunker. Um, now the mortars, and they're, they're just lobbing them right across the middle of the camp. And um, here comes a guy into the bunker in a towel and flip-flops. Mm-hmm. You know, so he was he got caught in the shower, which is your worst nightmare. And the rest of us had gear on, you know, because we had our gear next to us while we were playing cards. And we get into the bunker and one hits really close. And I mean, it's it shakes you. Boom. It, it hit. And um, over the radio, they said, we have injured. We need the medics at the aid station. So I get up to go and my LT grabs my hand. Now, we can hardly see anything in this bunker. But I knew his voice and he said, don't go yet, doc. And boom, another one came and he goes, okay, now go. Mm, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I'm like, thanks for saving my life. See you later. Bye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I start running across the camp and it's pitch black and I'm saying, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, the whole way across. And I get to the aid station and we have the injured Americans and some Afghans and we start working. We start working. And I didn't like to work. Because of that situation before, you know, you really weren't in danger. Boy, I hated working with that gear on. So I pull my gear off right away and I'm start working. And uh, I had this stupid, another story, but I had a stupid uh, hoodie on that said T-bone on the back in like uh, yellow letters. And the the, uh, hoodie was dark. So I'm in shorts, shower shoes, hoodie. And I had taken my gear off and I'm working and working. So we take the patients out to the helicopter. They call in the medevacs. Uh, so we, we had to sit on them a little bit. We take them out there and we're carrying the things. And because I'm the staff sergeant, I'm kind of directing the people, talking to the guy, telling them what injuries we have, blah, blah, blah. Just doing the norm. Get them on there. And I they take off. And I start walking back. And I wish I could remember this guy's name, but there was a private. And he was there in tears. He was like, <laughs> and I'm like, are you okay? You doing all right? And he said, Sergeant Ferry, you're my hero. I was like, what? What are you talking about? He goes, everybody else is in gear. And all I see is T-Bone walking across the dark and you're doing nothing. And you're in flip-flops. And I, and I, I kind of laughed and I was going to say, you're an idiot. And then I thought really quick, if I was a private, that shit would look cool. (laughs) 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 So so I let him live that. I'm sure he tells that story. There was this crazy guy Mm. that did this stuff. But uh, after that, I went back and they said, Sergeant Ferry, you got ice running through your veins. And I said, what are you talking about? The PA was saying this. They said, we're here in a panic and you're just working like it's, you know, you're doing Mm. not. I said... Trust me, I didn't feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't feel it. I said, but I just got done with 13 Mascals over there. So yeah. maybe it, it kicked in. What transitioned me from that, um, we were still on that same fob. And as the MPs, we'd go and do, uh, go to uh, Afghan police stations. They yes. didn't have any electricity, no running water. And uh, 
we would go train them and off in the distance, there was these clamshells and like, who's that? And this is back in 2009. So they're like, that's Blackwater. And we're like, Ooh, Blackwater. You know, I've heard this stories about that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that, those are those high speed guys that are, you know, contractors. So real quick, one night, an MP falls out of the tower he catches a head injury. I check him out. It's two o'clock in the morning. And I said, man, we got to take him to the medevac. It's at the Blackwater compound. Well, everybody's happy because Blackwater has good food. Mm. You know, they're not worried about this guy with the head injury. They want good food. So we take him over there and there's the Blackwater medic. He meets me and he's just this huge guy, you know, what you would picture, mm. you know, Blackwater. Yeah. And uh, I said, okay, I got, the-. he goes, tell me what you got. I said, I got this, this, this. He said, all right, we're going to call in the medevac. He goes away. He comes back and he says, something's going on right now. We're going to have to sit on this guy for about six hours. And I said, all right, Blackwater medic, what do we do? Tell me this high speed stuff that you do. And he goes, I don't know. Just do the same thing you've been doing. (laughs) And And at that point in 2010, I said, I want your job. When I retire, I want your job because you didn't do anything different than I've been doing and you're getting paid a hell of a lot of money. Mm. I want your job. And that was my quest after that deployment. When I retired, that's what I wanted to do. Mm. That's what I wanted to do. Um, So uh, we'll get into that right now, transitioning. Mm -hmm. But earlier you talked to me about having a vehicle rollover. Was that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, We were in an MRAP and uh, the MPs were... um, doing things up and down the road, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I would get into the back of the vehicle. Well, sometimes you get lazy and I was well known for getting lazy every once in a while. I was not the, the, the best soldier, you know, I was just hanging in there. And, um, I got lazy going in the back where it's in the middle of the night and, um, I didn't put my seatbelt on, you know, I'm kind of looking out the windows, can't see much. I'm kind of just chilling in the back. And, um, we did a turn or something, and the next thing I know, I mean, it's just a split second. The vehicle's turning. So you don't know what's going on in the back because you have no view of what's if you're not paying attention. So I'm literally start walking the wall, you know, as the vehicle's turning, and that sucker hit hard and knocked me out. And so when I wake up, and, you know, if you get knocked out and you wake up, you know, there was no time in between. So I just kind of come to, and there's water coming in the vehicle. And so I have no idea what's going on. That was a scary feeling. No idea what's going on, but this vehicle, we must've gone into a lake or something and I'm fixing to drown. I look up at the, uh, the gunner and the gunner had his, uh, gunner strap on. And so his head is in the water And his feet are doing like this, oh, you know? Shit. So afterwards, that's a funny, you know, mm-hmm. way to see. It wasn't funny at the time, but he's doing that. So I reached up and grabbed him, you know, to fix him. And now I'm trying to get out of the back. Well, I was just knocked out. So everything's loopy for me a little bit. And then now everything's upside down. And so I can't figure out how to get that door open because I'm supposed to do it this way. And I'm used to doing it this way. And I couldn't figure it out. And what seemed like an eternity, which is probably only 10 seconds. um, 
after that, someone comes and opens the door. We had went to do a turnaround and the driver can't see that far. And it's the TC's job to look down while you're in the dark. So the TC didn't see, and we went into a ditch. Mm. And so that ditch is filled with shit water and oh. just nasty. And that's what was coming up on us. So this guy's fucking head was submerged in shit water. His head was submerged in shit water. And we gave him shit for it for a while. <laughs> no pun, huh? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it oh. was, uh, you know, there were little things like that. But um, being knocked out like that, you know, that there's your TBI. Mm-hmm. You know, even though you, you think later on, did it really affect you? Was it just a concussion? Lots of people getting mm-hmm. knocked out. You know, and you just see see where it rolls from there. Yeah. You know, yeah. but on the retirement side, when I was going through the VA, of course, I brought that up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you get done with Afghanistan, you retire shortly after that. Yes. Right? I, I ended up going to El Paso and uh, getting a really good gig training every medic on the post. Every medic that had to update their license had to come through me. So that was an awesome feeling. And they ended up hearing what I had done in Afghanistan, uh, that I was on my own. And they said, you're going to go speak at the medic conference. And I was like, what do I say? And they're like, just tell about what you're doing. I was like, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> so I ended up going to San Antonio and uh, speaking in front of 300 officers, generals, doctors, this. And I had no clue what I was going to talk about. Cause I didn't do any prepping. I guess that's my adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. I don't prep for anything <laughs> and, uh, ended up speaking to them. And it was a whole funny story in there, a little long and drawn out, but I ended up like two minutes before I had to speak. I said, I know what I'm going to talk about. And so I got up there, spoke and talked about medics, not saying when they make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And the reason being a medic can do a thousand things, right? And when you do one thing wrong, you're a shitty medic. Mm. And so we keep that to ourselves. And it's the worst thing in the world because if you make a mistake, you want to teach your your soldiers, this is what I did. Don't you do that. Mm-hmm. You know. And so I went up and I had them roll and they were laughing because they didn't want to admit the, their mistakes and I was making them raise their hands and stuff. So I did that and then I retired. And I think I went through what most people go through, which was a spiral. I started spiraling. I didn't know what to do. I was showing up at work. I'm already retired. I don't know where else to go. I don't know how my job in the military translates outside. I don't want to be uh, in an ambulance because most ambulance um, deals are sick call. You know, there's an old person, there's a young person, they had taken medications and I hated that. I always hated things that had to deal with medications and stuff like that. I wanted bullet wounds. I wanted broken legs. I wanted, you know, they were in a blast. And so I started to spiral and I didn't know what to do. And it was a very panicky time. And the only thing I could think of is if there is no job, I'm going to make a job. And so I started a business, um, teaching local, state, and federal law enforcement tactical medicine. Nice. And so that that was kind of neat. But I still had put in applications to places. And about 10 months, about nine months after retiring, Academy calls. And they say, we want you to go to Kabul. 
Mm. And they said, you tell us uh, right now, uh, tell us by tomorrow, or we're going to crumple up your application. Well, if you don't know, Academy was a different name. It was Blackwater. Mm. And that was the dream. That was the dream job. So I said, of course, close the business. Let me go do some training. Went there. And as a medic, um, they were taking, I don't know how I ended up getting that job, but as a medic, you're not allowed in the military to shoot the machine guns. You're not allowed to do certain things. Well, for this job, you had to be proficient. So I had to get proficient quickly. So they asked the question, have you ever shot a machine gun before? I said, yes, I have. I've shot a machine gun, a 249 once. And that was the MP saying, hey, doc, you want to fire this? I said, sure. Come on up. It's already loaded for you. Everything going. Okay, let me shoot it. Clink. Get back, doc. Get back. You know, we'll, we'll fix that. You know, this misfire. Okay, get back up there. That was the one time I shot anything like that. Mm. But I did it. Right. So it worked for the application. And uh, getting to do that and having to learn how to clear rooms, having to learn on the fly. You know, I had 40 some days to become a professional at doing that. And I was scared to death, but I did it. Yeah, I did it. I made it. And they sent me to Kabul and I was there for eight years. Wow. Eight years I was in Kabul. I bet Did you see a bunch of more shit out there. Or? You know, it's kind of a different thing. I was personal security for the ambassador and other dignitaries who would come. So a lot of Congress people, a lot of uh, bureaucrats that you don't even know who they are, mm-hmm. um, things like that. So, but you have your certain teams. Another company was like, would watch the gates. And, uh, but ours was like the, I, I really don't want to say elite but it was really good people doing that job. And um, in doing that job, we have a quick reactionary force, a QRF. And so they put me on QRF at one point. And I said, you guys don't want me on QRF. And they were like, why, Doc? I said, because I'm a mass cal magnet. Things, shit goes down when I'm in the wrong place. They're like, ah, we haven't seen anything like that. In a week, we have a mass cal. In a week, we have a Moscow. And uh, a guy on a motorcycle went to the DEA compound in Kabul, and the people went around it, and boom, he blew it up. So QRF goes out to deal with that. Now, that was a fun one because now from being in the military and looking up to those Blackwater medics, now I'm that medic. Mm. So we drive up to the place. And I get out and I have civilian clothes on with all the gear and I got two radios. And once again, I I live in a comic book world. I know what I look like. It's got to be badass the way I look, right? And so I got the two, the headphones on and stuff. And I open up the doors to get out. And every nurse, civilian nurse and everything here, because we're out there on the ground, look at me and see me and rule the contracting world. Whatever you do, look good doing it. So, you know, we look like contractors coming out and uh, they look at me and I know the look in their face. He's here. Mm. There's the the contractor medic, the Blackwater medic. I can see it because I felt it before. I've been through that. And uh, they start coming up to me and asking me, we got this many people. We got that many people. I said, all right, hold on. What do we got here? So the doctor start comes over, and so I start walking around and seeing what they have. And all I do 
is tell them, make sure that tourniquet's tight. You might want to wrap that this, this way. You, you know, you know, did you check his breathing? Do you have, did you, when's the last time you got his vitals? I didn't touch a patient. I didn't touch a patient, but I was in charge somehow. <laughs> yeah. and, and the doctors were looking and then I had to load him up and it's just a weird situation. This was my, I was just married to my third wife at this time. And, um, after we had got those people out, we had to take some of the, the bodies away. So I had a body here, a body here, and then half of the bag is, is pieces, you know? So I put that between my feet and I call my wife and I'm like, you would not believe how my day at work was today. <laughs> and I didn't tell her any of that. You know, she just knew something had happened. Yeah. Uh, and I told her when I got home, it was at some time afterwards, but wow. I said, there's some, she goes, you called me in the middle of that. I said, yeah, well, you know, yeah. I had wow. to have someone to talk to. I had that contracting job all the way up till the Taliban took over the city. So I left on, I can't remember the date, the 13th of whatever. Um, so two days before the, the, uh, Taliban came in, I got on a plane and came out. And so at that time, two days before they came in, they said, you are leaving. See you when you get back in 35 days. And then two days later, the city's overtaken. Uh, they're on the embassy grounds. I don't have a job. I'm not going back there. And so here comes the spiral again. You know, mm. luckily I recognized it. I recognized it. And you cannot, and it still happens. Everybody's going to have their own way to deal with it. I have a really stupid way, and I laugh at it myself, that I deal with it, that I'll recognize that I'm getting lethargic. I'll recognize that I'm not talking to people. You know, and this is like in a day or two, you know, I start going down. And um, I start getting emotional a little bit. You know, I feel something. Something's here. And it's a depression coming. And I recognize it. And that's the, you know, before you're down the drain, you need to recognize that and say, that's okay. Everybody can get depressed. This is me getting depressed. Mm -hmm. And so what I do is I watch YouTube videos of like America's Got Talent or stuff. And those people that have the bad background, you know, had a tough life. And now they're just... I get emotionally even talking about it because mm. that's my thing. Yeah. They just shine. You know, that's their moment. They just shine. And I cry like a baby. <laughs> I cry like a baby because I'm so happy for them. And gets that emotion out. You know, if you're holding that in, it's got nowhere to go. It's going to stay with you. It's going to grow in you. It's going to stick. And I've learned over the years that was just something that worked. I can't remember how I found out it worked, but it did. And when I feel that emotion, I get up, number one, get up off the couch, get up and do something. So even though you don't feel like it, you know, I, I don't wait till I'm curling in, you know, in a ball on the bed. I recognize it and get up immediately, go to the gym, you know, um, cook, go in the backyard and, and do something, get outside, blow the stink off you, you know, and you find a certain way to deal with it. A lot of people don't want to talk to other people about it because we all, um, it's hard to explain to other people that have no idea, mm -hmm. you know, what that sinking feeling is. And 
we get a little bit, I don't know what the word is. I don't want to say arrogant, but in those feelings, you're like, nobody understands Mm -hmm. what I'm going through. I was a soldier. You know, these other people that are suffering from depression, they're pussies because that's nothing Mm -hmm. compared to what I've been through. And so we don't want to talk to anybody. You know, we don't want to let it out or do that. I've I've become a very open book Mm. on talking about stuff like this because that's what changed in me. So you see me energetic. You see me this. I make myself be that way because I don't want to be the other way. Right. You know, and it's just, it's something you work in that little stupid (laughs) video. I found out that works for me. That's great. And so people have to learn what works for them. And I think it's that release of the emotion and you don't have to cry in front of people. I go in my bedroom Mm -hmm. and watch this stuff, you know, nobody has to see it. Nobody has to see what I go through. And then I come out and I'm good. (laughs) And then I feel, you know, there's, there's an emotion, um, crying through joy, you know, and that's what I'm doing. I'm crying through joy, watching these people be successful, Mm. but it's still that emotion that's getting out yeah and you just have to release it I mean, awesome. that's that's the best way to do that's it. that's great man that's great last words if if anybody's out there that that is going through those spirals or are trying to figure out what to do their job doesn't translate to the uh, civilian world you're not alone you're not alone a lot of us i mean we don't know exactly how you personally feel but we're in the ballpark we're all in the ballpark so don't feel alone. Don't feel alone. Let that emotion out. If you feel good talking to people, talk to people. If you feel good uh, being on your, your own and just, you know, smelling flowers or whatever, then you do that. But just don't allow yourself recognize. Recognize when you, you, you feel that spiral coming. Yeah. And then, you, you know, get yourself together mm. and, and get out of it. Right, you know? right. Well, hey, William, um, really appreciate you taking a seat, man. It's a big contribution to Urban Valor. So thank you very much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Love doing it. Take care, brother. Thank you. Push it to the limit. I can't go no more. Red light, no